everyone. Welcome back to Reality 2.0. I am Catherine Druckmann. Doc Searles and I are talking to Sean Powers again today, this week. And we have some interesting stuff to talk about. We might even get a little controversial, but that's okay. But before we get into it, I wanted to remind everyone to visit our website at reality2cast.com. It's the number two in the URL where you can find all of the links to the various episodes. You could sign up for our newsletter that we occasionally send out. You could potentially support us on Patreon. And we want to thank everyone who does. And yeah, so that with that, I will get into it. So today... The starting point of this conversation is actually an article and video, which I will link to, by Jonathan Haidt, who is a social scientist and researcher. And he has some really interesting observations about why we are so dumb. Hmm. (laughs) We'll get into that. Um, But in a nutshell, technology has provided a massive proliferation of communication tools. But yet today we seem less able to communicate than before those tools were available. So let's talk about why that might be. But really quickly, I wanted to read the title of one of the, the well, the article that also inspired the video that I will link to. But, but um, the title of the article that started this whole conversation offline that led to this episode is why the past 10 years of American life have been uniquely stupid. And... Um, yeah, so Doc draw, drew, drew our attention to this, so I'll let him give it a little bit more background. Boy, no, no, I have not looked at at that in a week and a half, and given the the rapid decay of knowledge in in an <laughs> online world, especially when you're not looking at online. I was actually completely offline for for some of the last week and a half. That's um, blissful. But but he dates it like from about ten years ago, and in the rise of social media, and. I think, I mean, I have my own angle on it. I don't know if you want me to go straight into that and have people just read Jonathan. I'll speak of him as his first name, as if I know him, I don't. <laughs> he's he's at NYU. Jonathan. He teaches at NYU. He's a really good writer and uh, and a good talker. He was on the Long Now, Stuart Brand's Long Now podcast with Kevin Kelly, who's a, those guys I know uh, pretty well and are just really great. Great, great guys, as well as really original thinkers and talkers and writers. Um, but I, I, my own take on it is that we now have we have a zillion media. It's not there's no such thing as the mainstream media anymore. That that doesn't exist. There there are many streams, and we'll call some of them main. And some people on, I mean, there are people who complain about the mainstream media that have fifty thousand readers a day, right, or fifty million, or some other gigantic number. But it's all stories and and narratives. We we don't we no longer even talk about stories so much. We talk about narratives. And I learned as a, a, a fledgling journalist back in the early seventies that all stories, like a managing editor would say, "What's the story here?" You know that that is set in newsrooms back when there were newsrooms forever. What's the story? What's the story? What's the story? Well, what's the story? Story has three parts. It has a a character, a protagonist could be a ball club, could be a political party, could be an individual. Um, it's, but it's a character. And it doesn't have to be one you love. It could be one you hate. I mean, one reason that we couldn't stop watching Killing Eve on one of the, one of the subscription channels was because the most interesting character in it was a, was a, a serial assassin. He just, she, she just killed everybody. She got a thrill out of it. And but she was an interesting character, not sympathetic, but interesting. So you have a character and you have problems. And 
then movement toward a resolution. And what we have now are many, many different streams that are caring about characters where the character on one side is the enemy on the other. So on the left, the character on the right that is easy to hate is Trump. And on the right, it's easy to love Trump because he's a character. He's a very strong character. And and who do you hate on the other side? Oh, you hate Biden. And you, before that, you hated Obama. Before that, you hated the Kennedys and, and, and Hillary. And you find somebody to ha- hammer on. Scott Adams said it's uh, in one of his many tweets, facts don't matter. It's about who you hate. And that's a very cynical way of putting it, but I think it's a good cynical way to put it because it's actually what's going on right now. And I don't know a way out of it, but I do know that if you sit entirely on one side, you're being stupid. And I think that's part, partly where he's going. You're not seeking facts from the other side. In fact, there shouldn't even be sides on a lot of these things. The national budget, there's lots of economic arguments you can make about that. There are, there are arguments you can make about immigration. Um, there are arguments that, that you can make about abortion that are rational arguments where there are two sides. There are arguments you can make about capital punishment um, or about amending the constitution. And debate, you know, debates in high school and in college where there are people who get on a debate team and they debate one side or another. Those are, there are really legitimate sides there. There are arguments to be had. There is no national dialogue right now. There is a frozen conflict. It's like Israel and and Palestine, at, or guns. Guns are a frozen conflict as well. There's no, there's not much dialogue going on there. There are two sides, and they don't like each other, or they don't like each other's arguments. I think, you know, you could be friendly just as long as you don't talk politics. But it's tough. I don't, I don't see an easy way out of this, or if there even is an out. And I think it's largely because the, you know, when, when we see uh, the, uh, the opposing view, for lack of a better frame of reference, um, it, it's it doesn't seem like there is any possible halfway point to have a conversation, right? I mean, if if I say um, I I have liberal views, and you say all liberals. Uh, support pedophilia. How do how do we have a conversation? I mean, if if that yeah. is your, you know, th- that's the starting point for your engagement. I'm I'm not sure how we how we can go there. And, and you know, it goes the other way too. If if I say you know um, I I disagree with, um, or if somebody says you know I I don't like that we are. Uh, allowing so many immigrants in and the other side says that's because you were a racist and uh, everything that uh, you believe is that anybody who's not white is human trash or what I mean it's difficult for me to frame the other side because clearly I'm you know I'm a liberal but I'm trying to be fair in that it goes both directions in that we we uh, turn each other into monsters and so it's difficult to compromise because the the i think when we picture the idea of a compromise uh we are giving up uh something that we think is right and uh accepting something from the other side but when the other side is in our side uh, or in our views unreasonable in every aspect it's hard to find a middle ground it's almost like the only way to have a conversation is to say okay 
what third thing can we agree on? Because these two things, I think that's where the difficulty is, you know, and that's where the, you know, the radicalization of both sides and spreading politics further to the right and to the left. I I don't, I don't see the solution. And this feels like an old school Sean on reality 2.0 where, uh, we just talk about doom and gloom with no hope. I, I feel like that's the podcast <laughs> oh, again. <Sean>. So <laughs> glad to bring it back full circle for everybody. No, no, I have no. no suggestions on how we fix this going forward. I, well, I think so. So going back to Jonathan Haidt, and I know apologies for eventually I'm going to get his name wrong and call him hate, and I'm so sorry for that. Um, but one of one of you know one of the things he he puts out there he points out is that. Obviously, the the social media communication tools that I mentioned before tend to favor extreme uh, conversations. They they favor and amplify the conversations that tap into fear and anxiety the most. And it, it he he also you know among other things he mentions the psychological impact of younger people who went through their awkward years growing up with social media and how they've developed in a different way than people our age. But the point being is that when you start the conversation from a place of this deep, deeply held belief that is rooted in fear, how do you go forward? Because you've started at such a disadvantage on both sides that it's so hard to come out of that. And I found myself, and this is interesting, I I noticed while I was reading and uh, his article in the Atlantic and while I was listening to the YouTube video that I will link, I noticed that I even felt my own anxiety digging my own positions into my brain. I, I felt like a visceral reaction when he talks about having a reasonable conversation about COVID precautions, for example, because I had strong feelings. I have a chronic illness that made me more vulnerable. And when you start talking about, well, you know, maybe kids should have been in school sooner and, and you know, and there's no evidence that that young children masking, you know, improved outcomes. And, and I understand that and I'm totally willing to read it. But viscerally, I say, oh, my God, keep those filthy children away from me because I don't want them to kill me. So that, And I realize that's maybe not a reasonable position, but that's where my mind goes at some level. And um, I'm, you know, it is awkward to admit that that and I and I promise I'm re- willing to have a reasonable conversation, really. But yeah, so that and that's where we're all coming from in some way. And, I, you know, and I, I wonder what we do now with with the our tools of communication being as they are. Uh, Doc mentioned something, you know, you you have to maybe pick and choose who who to follow and who who to avoid uh, to maintain your sanity. I don't know how y'all feel about that. Yeah. Well, I I want to interject two things. Um, One, your example, I think, is an example of uh, a highly uh, charged conversation that could actually happen. Right. Because you see the some value or at least understand the notion that perhaps children being in school was very beneficial to them. So at least that's a position, right? I mean, you, and you can Mm -hmm. have that conversation. And I think that you being like, well, no, it's, you know, I'm going to die. I think at least in that case, it's a conversation that could happen you know, that maybe you're not willing to compromise much in that regard. And I wouldn't right, blame but you I'm for willing that. to have the conversation. But but at least the other <laughs> side makes sense or or has a has yes, a point. Yes. You know, and, and their their hearts are in the right place. They're looking yes. out for the interests yes. and mental health of their children. And I completely understand that as well. And I respect it. Yeah. I may and never I leave the house again, but that's though. okay. <laughs> yeah. But that's different than 
than the the conversations that occur yes, with absolutely. social media. And I think maybe one of the biggest issues is that you know we we talk about how how much we communicate with social media, but it, but the communication aspect of social media is almost like a a side effect, right? I mean, social media does not exist to help us communicate. Social media exists to attract our eyeballs to whatever social media wants us to see and engage with so that we can make money for people. So I, I think that, you know, it's almost like I could shovel my driveway with my flamethrower and it, it, it would technically clear my driveway, but the collateral damage is so severe that it's hard to consider my flamethrower. And I know that this is an audio <laughs> podcast, but it's literally yeah, on the wall it's behind a great me. It's a perfect image. It's great. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, I can hardly consider my flamethrower a snow removal device, but that's kind of how we treat social media uh, when we talk about it as a communication device, because it's barely that. I mean, yeah, we use it to communicate, but it sure isn't what it's designed to do. It's designed to uh, attract our it was eyeballs, get us sucked in, and yeah. Yeah. Well, it was orig originally just a way to quickly share your status message. It was a stream, a feed of status messages from your friends. What are the, what are you what am I doing right now? Twitter well, in particular. Definitely not overthrowing yeah. the government. I don't yeah, know. Twitter. I, I remember Twitter had no uh no financial model. They had no, no. Th they did not make any money and they had at first no way to make money. They they just built a platform and then once they had everybody hooked, then they monetized. So anyway. Well, they started in 2006, as did Facebook, and I remember both of those in different in, in different ways. I mean, it, uh, Twitter started, and I remember being introduced to it by Ev Williams, who was had been at. He started Blogger with some other guys, and not just guys, and then sold that to Google and was working at Google, and then he left that and started something called Odeo, I think it was with uh, some other people, Biz Stone and, and Jack Dorsey, I guess. And, and the big thing was this, it wasn't Twitter. Twitter was a side thing. It was just basically this messaging thing that they'd come up with. And, and it was simple and uncomplicated. That's one reason it took off. It was only because they kind of gave it away or kind of evangelized it a little bit at South by Southwest. And then it kind of took off from there. But he showed it to me before that. They had no ambitions about it. It was not even the main thing they were doing. On the other hand, with Zuckerberg, um, Facebook spread from Harvard to just other universities. And I was um, doing something at UCSB at the time in Santa Barbara. And so my first Facebook account was one I could only get at a university. I had it at, at uh, UCSB. And then also in 2006, I had this thing going at Harvard also as a guest kind of, but I, I had access to, I had a Harvard email address so I could get in because I had a Harvard email address and it was only for universities. Then he decided, or his team decided, no, they're going to be for everybody. But I actually think they lucked into what they were doing as well. In fact, they were against advertising. That was the big conflict between Zuckerberg and Eduardo, whatever his last name was. That was sort of immortalized, if you can call it that, in the movie. Uh, the, the social network. And, but, you know, to some, some degree, these guys, you know, you know, just somehow landed on third base and somebody hit a single and they had a home run, you know, it's just, they, they lucked into it to some degree. And I say that with a great deal of respect, especially for Ev, because he's a really good guy. I don't know Zuckerberg at all. Um, 
so I can lose less love on him for sure. But, um, you know, there, I mean, William F. Buckley once said of another, of a politician that he was destiny's tot, as in destiny's toddler. And I think, I think to some degree, you know, Zuckerberg is that. Um, something that um, Jonathan Haidt says about this, he, he compares, he compares, and I'm remembering this now, he compares to what happened in 2012, 2013 to the Tower of Babel, and that that's what we have now. We have a lot of babblers in many different languages, as it were, who are not communicating with each other. Um, but I think it's been going on for a while. George Packer wrote a book called The Unwinding, an inner history of the new America. And this is back 10 years ago, at least maybe farther about how it's falling apart. And he just basically tells about six stories in it, but he's a great writer. Um, and that's, that kind of shows it as well. We're there's, I think there's a, a level of unhappiness. I'm going to, I'm going to pull age rank here in a way, cause I, this is not rank. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just circumstance. You know, I was born in 1947, right after the war. My father was in World War II. I grew up in a place, I think everybody did, where everybody's dad was a soldier in World War II or was in the Merchant Marine or some other thing was involved in the war. Mothers also were involved in the war. And before that, they lived in the Depression where they walked to school 20 miles uphill in both directions, right? You know, and had nothing but stories about that for which you could never top them because they'd been through shit you will never, ever go through in your life. And we had, you know, I mean, there was no distance between anybody on certain things. Everybody agreed the war was the right war. They all agreed that big industry was good because they were all employed by it in one way or another. They agreed. I mean, this is the America that Trump wants to make great again. Is that is the... the the, it's not just mythical. There was a unity in the country at that time. You could go camping and there could be somebody from, you know, from, from of a different race or from a different town or whatever next door. And you're going to talk about the war. You're going to talk about what, who were you with? Where did you serve? And there was no, you know, and everybody had hard times. You know, the, the depression was something that affected almost everybody in a bad way and all everybody had that experience and we're two or three generations past that now and there is no common experience that we have now the common experience is maybe the internet but the internet is a place that's fractured us and put us all in this tower of babel and made us stupid so so we need an alien invasion <laughs> that we can unite around a, a global uh, human force to battle uh, so maybe, uh, you know, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll start a, a fake war of the worlds thing to get everybody on board with, uh, you know, shooting Jupiter. I don't know. <laughs> and I don't mm -hmm. mean to make light of it, but the, um, yeah, I, I wonder, I wonder doc, you know, you, you talk about everybody was, um, on the same page. I wonder, and I don't know if there's any way we can know this. Is that true? Or, or did just the lack of, uh, easy, widespread, instant communication, did it mean that pockets of people were, uh, you know, the smaller villages? I mean, two weeks ago, we talked about, you know, like society hasn't been able to scale well. Uh, was it just that everybody was in their own smaller groups that had some homogeny in uh, worldviews that uh, that made the difference? No, th th yes and no. I think 
obviously everybody was, everybody did live in neighborhoods and, you know, and in cohorts of various kinds, churches, schools, um, there, there, but there were some just hugely major common experiences. Um, newspapers mattered and, you know, every city, every region had regional newspapers. They had, I mean, with television, I, I used to work in advertising and, and, um, we worked with broadcasters who, who were every radio st- TV station worked in something called an area of dominant influence in ADI, and ADI was all the counties that primarily watched television stations from here. You know, it was from it was the, the Richmond market, it was the Greensboro High Point Winston Salem market, the Spartanburg Greenville Asheville market. Spartanburg and Greenville aren't that far apart, but Asheville is over a bunch of mountains, but they were in one area of dominant influence because they all watched Channel 13 from Asheville, you know, and this was, this was part of, you know, and, and for that matter, at a more local area level, they, they read the same newspapers. They all went and watched the same fireworks. They all rooted for the same teams. Um, and the rivalries were friendly, you know, you, you know, you were, you were for the University of South Carolina or you're for Clemson, but it was okay. You know, I mean, you'd kind of root against the other team, but there was a friendliness to it. Um, I'm glad we still have sports because you could still be friendly about that, but we don't have, you know, everybody watched the CBS Evening News. Everybody not only listened to Walter Cronkite, they they watched um, Huntley and Brinkley on NBC, you know, oh, or Howard K. Smith on ABC, and that covered it. Fox was didn't exist for most of that time, you know, and in many smaller markets, like in Santa Barbara, one TV station. I was was years away from Santa Barbara at that time. But so we all got something like truth from one place. And there was agreement on some big things, even if we like, you know, I I was in the South for in the 60s for the civil rights movement. There was gigantic disagreement about that stuff. But there's some things you did agree about and you had to watch this stuff. You don't anymore. There, the main the mainstream media is complete myth. There is doesn't exist anymore. So I think at, that's actually a good point because I I'm pretty sure this is mentioned in the, the Atlantic article, but the the conversation around so, social media or attributing a lot of today's problems to the rise of social media is actually predated by cable news. So so there was another oh, yeah. shift before before the introduction of Facebook and, and Twitter, and that was a 24-hour news cycle, cable dedicated cable news channels that didn't exist before when I, I am old enough to remember the days when we got our news at 5 and 10 or, or whatever it was, 6 yeah. and 10, um, and, and you got it in small doses. And in my parents' generation, we're the first to, and yours was the first to see a war played out on TV over, over dinner, right. where that was a completely new thing. But it was still in smaller doses than it is now the the rating system was a bit different you you know it wasn't a bunch of dedicated news channels competing for ratings and that that of course shifted the the conversation quite a bit and and it was maybe the the instigator of a lot of the silos that then uh, social media has amplified i think yeah and i think social media it has almost like upped the horribleness you know in order of magnitude but doc i, I think that what you what you described is actually a fair uh, representation of, and I'm, I'm going back a ways before it ended up being, you know, what I what I consider just pure evil. But uh, like back in 2015, when when good-hearted people were uh, 
we're talking about make America great again. I, I think that that picture mm. that you said, I think that was the what they imagined. And and I think, unfortunately, uh, you know, for a lot of people, it was it was a great time. But it was also nobody ever talking. I mean, there were also gay people then and there were also transgender people. They just that was not acceptable to everyone. So I right. think they that it was living a, in fear. Yeah. And, and I think More that fear. that's part of the big frustration with the, the idea of it used to be so great. Well, not if you didn't fit the. Not if you weren't a white dude, an affluent white dude at that. And, and I think that Doc fairly, you know, said like, you know, it, it did go across, you know, like he talked about, like, you know, you camp next to somebody who's a different race in it. And it wasn't, you know, this us and, and them thing. But I think that there was a lot of under, um, uh, under the radar uh, misery that nobody talked about, you know, that it just, it existed. It was just not part of culture because it was taboo and sort of thing, you know? So I, I, I don't, I mean, we certainly couldn't go back to that exact picture. No, we can never. And it, yeah. and I'm not suggesting that, that world is that gone. you that you think that like well, if they just I I mean clearly I, I you know I know who you are and that's not what you're talking about. But I, I think I think that's part of the thing where somebody sees the the good things that happened uh, back then and think that. And then it builds into how can we get there again? And unfortunately, uh, to get there again, to to make the make America great again, quote unquote. Uh, well, it turns out we can't, and it would be horrible if we tried. And unfortunately, that's been proven. You know, <laughs> if you try to make that happen, it means that you know, like no more brown people, no more, you know, more, no more immigrants, yeah. no more. Uh, you know, there's only two genders. All all the things in here is where we get controversial, Sean. But um, I, yeah, I don't know, but I think that. You, you make a fair point that cable news was different because it didn't just re cable news. The 24 hour news network doesn't just report news. It, it hypes it's entertainment. It hypes well, uh, tragedy and horror and badness well, and evil. I, and you know, it's excitement nonstop. And once it's no longer excitement, that's no longer reported on, even if it's important. And then social media kind of upped the ante again and said, not only are we going to, you know, do all this, you know, the things that are exciting and horrible and, and you can't look away from, but we're only going to show you the things that we're only going to show you that we're only going to show you the things that get you riled up. And oh, I, I, I yeah. want to say a couple of things real quickly. One is I want to make clear because I think I wasn't clear enough that I do not by believe by any stretch that the idealized world of the fifties um, and earlier or even later that um, is sort of behind the mega myth, um, Ozzie and Harriet, uh, Mayberry, um, you know, the, the, the big things that everybody agreed about in some ways were not all good things. My point is not that that was good. My point is that there was, there was a lot more that almost everybody agreed about that was a version of the world that, I mean, I, I, there were, there were people who were protesters in world war II. My ex-father-in-law was a conscientious objector and a pacifist who sat out and, and was terribly um, treated during world war II because he did not want to fight. Um, it, it wasn't entirely uniform, but there was general agreement about a lot of stuff. Um, the other is I, I want to give props to Ted Turner, what he tried to do with CNN in the first place with, with cable news. There was, there was an attempt to have like, it was good to have 24 hour news. 
and I loved um, uh, headline news when when CNN started with with H with, with you know headline news is now called HN or something like that, which is absolutely horrible now. But at mm. the beginning, it was just like okay, just what the headlines is headline news, and it was I wouldn't call it great, but it was at least tried to be. Neutral is not even the right word, just accurate. Useful. <laughs> you know? Informative. Yeah, Useful I mean, was, and informative. Yeah. And it just turns out that there's just a lot more money in having, you know, talking heads and that are mostly on one side, you know, it's just tough. Yeah, to get people to watch 24 hours a day, it has right, to because, be nonstop engaging to the point where you can't not right, look or you're all about you're miss out on the end of the world, you know, and yeah, and that makes, you know, advertisers happy. And yeah, it's, everything seems to uh, go to entropy, right? I mean, it, it, yeah. I don't like the idea of an alien invasion, by the way. I think that might, might bring us together. But then there was a, <laughs> I thought that the, um, the, the Don't Look Up movie from last year was great. And and oh, I, I, I like the good. it was I like the so point horribly wonderfully done. Yeah, it's, 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 it's you depressing. Know, Adam McKay <laughs> is really good at that stuff, and and um, but the you know, I mean, here you know, the world could get together to deal with something that was world threatening, um, and uh, and didn't. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, oh, it was so and, well done. It was really well done and just not fully respected, but it was, it was brilliant. And, and, uh, um, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm depressed about that, but I, I have to say I'm, I'm actually, actually optimistic in the longer term. I, I think that the, I think that sooner or later facts do matter. I think facts do win out. I think things that are beyond dispute, um, do help in the long run. And I do think, for example, we still need government. You can hate the government all you want. We still need it. We need it. We need it to make things run. We need business. We need business to, you know, we need, we don't necessarily need higher taxes. You know, there, there, there are economic facts that we can, there may be small in here and there, but we can find them to agree on. There are, you know, regulatory frameworks that, that can work. Um, so, I mean, I, I think sooner or later that helps. So speaking of regulatory frameworks and things that might work, I wondered if we could spend a lot, a little bit of time talking about, well, some of, some of Height's proposed solutions, but also maybe some of our own, but I think it's I interesting. Alien invasion. That's mine. Alien invasion. Okay. So that's, that's number one. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, he throws out a couple of things and, and one of them is, regulating social media and and i would throw in so far the the attempts at regulating social media have largely just been to protect against quote unquote censorship and mostly just to ensure that certain right-wing voices continue to have a voice uh with, with the laws and well texas has one i can't remember who else um and, uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily think they're addressing any problems. I, I don't necessarily think yet that they have made anything worse either, but, um, or so far. But I, I also wanted to, to mention something that he brings up, which is something we've talked about before, and that is user authentication. So, you know, he, he draws a comparison between banks and, and other industries that have know your customer rules. Um, yeah. So KYC. that people are forced. Yes, exactly. So, and we talked about this with Dave Hughesby in particular, because he has some ideas about how you could 
authenticate while still maintaining some anonymity. Because I actually, you know, I agree with Dave that anonymity is also key to preserving democratic ideals and, and appropriate conversation and, and, you know, the conversations that move things forward instead of, you know, becoming stagnant. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think those are possibly especially, worth talking about because disinformation bots US, and right. Yeah. Especially outside the, I think the, the privacy issue is a huge uh, outside of the U S I mean, the U S for all of its, all of its warts. I mean, it's important here, but I mean, so the examples that, that Dave used, and we've talked about this before, but the, the important ones are, it all boils down to the fact that, Political change and political progress in many cases has evolved out of safe spaces, right? Protected private spaces where people can hash out political ideas, controversial ideas, these sorts of things. And you have to have the privacy to do that, the privacy to mm-hmm. to um, to make progress. I think you know people on all on both sides of the aisle would agree. You know, you, we're we're not going. We didn't get to the point where. We had marriage equality without having the safe spaces to debate these things. We didn't get, you know, to the point of even forming our country uh, without having the ability to anonymously publish controversial ideas. However, the proliferation of disinformation bots obviously has exacerbated the problem of amplifying extreme and potentially harmful ideas. You know, you you, you find the most extreme, harmful, let's say, uh, vaccine disinformation. And, and you have the phenomenon of social proof when people, people are, uh, they have that idea reinforced when they see John five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten uh, <laughs> tweeting, you know, retweeting misinformation. And then suddenly you're like, well, I'm, I'm seeing it all over Twitter. It must, it, you know, these vaccines must actually have 5g microchips in them, you know? So, so yeah, those are, that is a problem that could potentially be addressed by user authentication. I don't know if it would be completely just, I, I, I know that the bots definitely spurn things along, but I, I also think that um, just human beings would. Yeah. Well, know, so not that's, as that's efficiently, but you know, yeah. would also make those things happen. Exactly. Um, yes. You know, it instead doesn't of remember. John four, five, six, seven, it would be, you know, my aunt An Bertha. actual human. Yeah. 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 My aunt Bertha. Yeah, yeah. She, uh, yeah. Whoa. Sean's aunt Bertha. Did you know that? <laughs> and, and he's trustworthy because he has green hair. So yeah. I don't. I, I'm getting so I wouldn't recognize you without it, Sean. So there's an issue right there. You can, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Is like, Sean? He is the green hair guy. <laughs> yeah, I think that's gonna be my thing. It used to be, you know, spiky hair, but now my hair is too thin to be recognizable that way. So now it's just got to be green. <laughs> and it's funny. We're we're close to getting a house here in in Bloomington, and it is. It has it happens. It's like three narrow lots, and the middle one, these are really small lots, but it's just sort of interesting, has a pool in it. It is the only pool, so it's known as the house with the pool. Now, this is not much bigger than a wading pool, quite honestly, but it's built in, and it is a pool. And everybody in the neighborhood knows that, oh, yeah, it's the pool with the house with the pool, the house with the pool. We're not sure we'll keep the pool, but it's one that's got the pool, so there you go. Distinguishing characteristics, which is off whatever topic you were on. What was that topic? I don't even know. Oh, <laughs> Just that okay. humans, I started with- <laughs> yeah, bots are more efficient at spreading misinformation, but I think human oh, right. sacks will be able to do it, even if we do have, like, you know, the uh, proof that it's an actual person, uh, privacy yes. or not. But, but I mean, actual it's it's a fair point because the the bots make it happen more, right? I mean, more quickly, more 
ferociously more targeted, maybe. I don't know. I, I think that the uh, we talk about uh, regulating uh, social media, and I, I think, yeah, that's largely been on, you know, what is free speech, what is hate speech, and, you know, trying to regulate what can and can't exist on social media. Uh, but I still think that there's a there's another layer of that. Maybe it's addressed, yeah. but I think that the the other layer of regulation would be to somehow make it not about uh, a communication tool that has an ulterior motive in and of itself. Right, in and of itself, it wants us to stay there and engage with ads and and all of that stuff. And if we don't, if regulation doesn't fix that, I don't know how we stop it from. Uh, skewing our communication. Like, I mean, it's going to change how uh, we send and receive information from each other when the the motive is not to help us communicate, but to uh, manipulate us into spending money. Mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not sure that every, you know, that everything is all about trying to make us spend money. I think, I mean, I mentioned earlier that Neither Twitter nor Facebook knew what their business was before they went into it. For that matter, nor did Google. I mean, I I wrote, a I think, a Linux Journal story about this that when I found out, I mean, that I was, I visited Google at the time that they had just four geeks in a room who would come up with the idea for doing the kind of advertising they started out with, which is like this all text thing on the right side of the page where... Mm-hmm. Um, you know that the, the the readers would vote on them by clicking on them, and they would also auction them in a different kind of way at the same time. And and it was kind of like they were at a point where do you think we can make money with this? You know, well now it's become the entire thing, and they own a huge part of the entire ad tech stack um, and infrastructure. And it's a very different system, and it's not good. And there was a there's a rocky oh, there's a slippery slope they went down on that, um, but it didn't start there. They started with, let's organize the world's information. I think a difficult thing, going back to the identity topic that you brought up, Catherine, is that we have a lot of tacit understandings in the physical world around manners, for example. We're not, you know, and I've often yeah. brought this up. I'm a broken record on this one, but where, you know, when you never reach inside somebody else's clothing to plant a tracking beacon on them or try to invade their private spaces. But we could signal each other in 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 gentle ways that are understood without being very specific. But in the digital world, we have to program things and we have to be explicit. The tacit works in the physical world. We don't have the tacit very much in the, in the, in the digital one. We have to have explicit things. And that makes it hard. That makes it hard to respect the stuff that's really subtle. That's, you know, like, for example, that the person who just flamed you is actually just somebody who would, if you met them, would be your neighbor. Or when you, or you might treat people online, not you personally, anybody here, but a, I mean, in a third person way. I, I, in fact, I know people who are just, who can be flamers online and that's not how they are, but it's easy for them online. Right. And it's in part because they're in this weirdly explicit world where they can get away with it. And, and they, they could get a cheap thrill out of that that they don't get in the physical world where that's a vulnerable human being with real expressions and flesh and blood breathing the same air you are and going to the same stores. Um, and we, and I think it's going to take a long time to work that out, but we will. Fuzzy logic. I don't know what's going to, what it's going to take, but it'll be something. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think we will too. I think that I think there are enough smart people out there that realize that there is a problem and you know, there is something wrong with the way that we communicate right now and that there are actual consequences. I think whether it's going to be content moderation or, or changing the way that that the the interfaces work or the algorithms work in order to change the way we interact for the better I, I, something will work and some somebody will will find an an incentive for for improving it that that's the real thing is that yeah. you know once the companies that that design these these platforms are incentivized to make it better they will i'm optimistic in the long term as well because um uh, we're we're extremely adaptable you know human beings are amazing i mean you know i talked about war of the worlds earlier um if we go back to there, you know, that was radio and people were, they believed it, right? They believed it was actually happening. It was a phenomenon or whatever. Um, that wouldn't happen now. I mean, you know, if no, it was on the radio, wouldn't we, we wouldn't it? believe it. Well, I mean, if it was on the radio and like, uh, you know, because we, there wouldn't be corroborating evidence and that sort of a thing. I just mean right. that, uh, you know, that, that was the point where we were, uh, where it, technology had gotten a little bit ahead of us. Uh, and I, I think that's where we are now. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I think that even even what I see as the most evil, horrible viewpoints um, are due to a, a misunderstanding or short sightedness or um, unreasonable fear or reasonable fear that has been, you know, taken corrupted uh, precedent and yeah, and and kind of removed a person's. Um, empathy you know for other human beings i'm optimistic long term i think that it, it might it might be rough for quite a while but i i think that we're going to come out of either side and uh we will you know our empathy and our our humanity will uh catch up with a technology so i'm trying to be optimistic it's unlike me in this podcast <laughs> i i sick of that motion i think it, uh, yeah yeah i like it we're smart we'll figure it out <laughs> Or, or the aliens will come, in which out. case we'll just will come and, join together and yeah, yeah, and shoot them with space lasers. <laughs> that sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs>